Julian wants Huey's tonight. Bro, your norm. South Haven? Mm-hmm. South Haven's is really good. Like I've never had a bad I've never experience. Been to that one. Really? Mm. Olive branches too. Do you like um, do you like their new. cheese sticks? Yeah. Yeah, they haven't had enough time. The grill That's what's isn't... frustrating, is like it it's made to look old, but it's brand new. We know there. better. Yeah. They need to sling bacon grease all over it. Mm-hmm. You know? You know the best one is the one like on like Winchester and yeah. Southwind. Yep. Well, you know what made them really good is for a long time people smoked in them. <laughs> and it's gross. It's and hot. everyone's spit is in the ceiling. Yes, the and you can shoot the toothpicks in the ceiling. Thanks, COVID. That agi- that a- that ages the building. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like the walls droop a little bit. The glass is foggy. Brown liquid comes out of them sometimes. Yep. <laughs> it's disgusting. All the glass is dusty. Mm-hmm. You look at all the air return vents, and it's just like, no way, nothing's getting and through And the tiles there. are black. <laughs> So like on, what's today, Tuesday? On Tuesday nights, I think it's trivia. Mm. And I think Wednesday is karaoke. <laughs> and I promise you, dude, I'm going to go do karaoke one day. I want a karaoke machine and have a karaoke party at my house. That'd be awesome. It would be. Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Blake McCullough, and with me today I have Lawson Harlow and Don Terrell. So, Don, what are we doing today? That feels nice. It does. It really I is. I think it feels better. Yeah. <laughs> so today, what are we doing today? Today we will discuss the title of today's episode, which is another doctor episode, question mark? How about that? Mm. You fine with that? Hmm. And an, an anonymous, I mean, how do you, what's the, what do the kids say these days for like a anonymous, is it Anon, Anon? Anon. Yeah. This is an Anon episode. Mm, I like that. How about that? That's a good, that's a good uh, title actually. It is. All right, Charles, that's the title. The Anon title of today's episode. episode is Anon episode. Anon episode. So we that got sounds an sounds like it's a non episode. Oh. Let's just hang up. Mm. Pun. Uh, so we got an email from a listener. He says, hey guys, well, do you just want to make it totally anonymous? That's gender neutral. Sure. Okay. This person says. <laughs> <laughs> this individual says, hey guys, long time listener, first time emailer. Goes I on appreciate to say, the comedy. Yeah, me too. I, I chuckled on that. That, that, that I read warned it. me up immediately. I, read, level. This, I yeah. read this email at 1 a.m. Goodness, bro, go to bed. I Seriously. Was, I was in my bed. I was in my bed reading it. He says, great to hear all your voices midweek. Thanks. <laughs> my question goes back, this individual's question goes back to June 30th, the Dr. Josh segment on eschatology. He says, what a great podcast. Mm, indeed. He says, full disclosure, my knowledge base is limited. Never really heard sermons on eschatology growing up. Goes on to say uh, he had reached out to an individual and was trying to get information, um, like recommendations on on eschatology. And this individual recommended uh, sermons by Vody. Say his last name? Bacham. Bacham. I just want to go Basham. Kind of like how I say vacuum. Vacuum. (laughs) What? And gets mad about my my way I say vacuum. Yeah. Okay. Um, says that all of these sermons, uh, which were optimistic. Amil. Amil. Says, I adopted that position because it made sense and it was all I knew. The only other study I've done was Christ-Centered Exposition Book on Revelation by Aiken. He made a statement early in his book where he said he was taking the good parts of all the different views into the study. So I was happy picking and choosing the parts. Uh, I liked and I liked parsing them together. But it didn't take me long to realize that uh, wasn't the best way to go. And he goes on to say, saw Dr. Aiken at a conference and asked him uh, about his pan mill view. And he said, well, I am really pre-mill, pre-trib. 
And last eschatology sermon I heard was John MacArthur's Shepherd's Conference finale from this past year, which he seemed to enjoy um, <laughs> coming off the top ropes <laughs> on some folks there. I didn't hear about that. It was an artificial top rope, full disclosure. So he says, my question for this podcast in is, humble view. as a Christian in this life, what do we owe future generations? That's mm. a good question. It's a super good question. So he goes on to say, you want the commentary from the email? Before you jump in there? Sure. Okay. There are abundant verses for living the Christian life. In some ways, we are pilgrims passing through this world. Amen. In others, we are wise men pointing people to the star in the sky. That's good. I want to co-opt that. In others, we are lovers of our neighbors. In others, we are defenders of the faith always on guard. Mm. There are close to 8 billion people in the world today. This seems like a lot. It is. But it is small when comparing all when comparing all the people that lived previous to this generation and much smaller to the many billions of people in future generations to come. Non-Christian scientists estimate that there have been 100 billion people who have lived and died to date. It is strange to think that there are more people that will come to life in a relatively short period of time than the amount that have ever lived before. So if we are to have eternal focus of our lives today, how much how and how much should we be thinking about the future? One of the extreme, you could say, all that is not of good eternal value will be burned up anyway. So you could focus on the now glory and not worry much about the future. But then I think about all the previous generations of Christians that gave their lives to spread and preserve the gospel that enabled little old me to have the knowledge today in this generation so far removed from these faithful saints. So this question could be answered from a secular point of view. Talking heads love to dissect climate change, resource depletion, global social ills. But specifically as believers, how do we think about these problems and how do we think about them differently from the secular world? If I believe in godly beauty, truth, and goodness, how important is this to preserve for the next generations here on earth? My sub-questions are, does our eschatology change how we as Christians think about the future and thus our lives? This would mean eschatology matters. How does this belief affect, change our view of evangelism? I think the low-hanging fruit is to be involved in a local church, teach catechism to your family, etc. But what about application for more global evangelism and resource allocation to those efforts? I have a non-IMB missionary friend who has devoted his life to running a backpacker hostel in Patagonia. Sounds awesome. So he can evangelize young Jewish men and women hiking in the area because he knows how the Jewish people will be used to God's glory in the end times. How do we preserve the gospel for future, and to what extent should be our efforts? If we are already living in a Fahrenheit 451 brave new world where words and truth are relative, we have seen liberalism come and go in our seminaries. Do we need a Svalbard global seed bank for the gospel? Should we be thinking like Elon and realizing the answer to preservation is colonization of Mars? Mint a little tongue-in-cheek, he says. Or does it not matter because we know the end of the story and our mindset can be two steps removed from fatalism? He says, so are y'all going to touch on the John MacArthur School of Thought within Reform Circles? Anyways, that should be enough stream of consciousness for now. I will take my answer offline. He says, I figured you could make it into a future podcast topic, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's good. Yeah, so we took him up on his offer, and we'll make it a future podcast episode. <laughs> a lot of questions in there. I guess we want to scroll to the top and say, the first question is, it was a really good question. Hello. Give me just a second. What do we owe our future? What do As we a Christian in this life, what do we owe future generations? <sighs> I feel like we're inheriting a culture in which, because of the... I don't even know what the tendencies are, but there seems to be tendencies to tear down institutions more recently. And I think we're entering an era where the institutions that have been built up in our culture are going to struggle because there's not as much belief in them and therefore money and efforts aren't being put behind them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So like colleges seemingly not having the same kind of donor base that they used to have because college has kind of become transactional and no one's really like 
you know, thinking about how to make sure that college stays for the next generation. And I think some of that has probably bled into the church. It's like we have this here and now, and we don't necessarily have thoughts for what's coming next or who's coming after. staring at Don because he's just scrolling through his phone. Well, I'm trying to get the rest of the questions. Well, I can answer one. He says, so if we are to have eternal focus of our lives today, how how much should we be thinking about the future? And he's speaking of the future here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so using your life. He or she is speaking yeah, of the future. Yeah, because it goes back to, as a Christian in this life, I think the underlying question of the entirety of the email is, as a Christian in this life, what do we owe future generations yeah. And if you're living today with an eternal focus of our lives today, how and how much should we be thinking about the future? I think the future, I think the future that he's talking about is big. He or she. He or she is a big future. Like he goes on to say in the next um, such and such years, there'll be more people born than have lived historically based on some yeah, records. So I think the basic premise of Christ's commands is that you live um you live your life expecting the coming of Christ and looking forward to it. And the way that you do that is by living faithfully here and now and building that which you've been called to build. There's not a like you look at the Thessalonians and what they did. They're rebuked pretty heavily. Um, there are men who are not working. There are men who are sitting idle. And the whole expectation is the Lord is coming soon. So, and then you've got in 1 Corinthians, you've got, or maybe that's Thessalonians as well, forgive me, where it talks about the resurrection already happening. Like there are men saying the resurrection has already happened. And Paul essentially shoots this down and says, no, it hasn't already happened. And then from there, He's encouraging them to continue to go about your work. That The passage that we speak of so regularly in regard to men laboring, like if you don't work, you don't eat, that's from Thessalonians. And the reason they weren't working was because they were like, oh, the Lord's going to come soon, so it doesn't really matter. So I think that there's kind of a duality in which we live. Even if it, it almost, I think it's fair to say it doesn't matter which eschatological camp you fall in. Mm-hmm. If you're a dispensational pre-meal, you're going to assume the world's going to go to pot. If and you're I think a pessimistic that, amil, hold on a second. If you're a pessimistic amil, you're going to you're going to think the world the world's going to go to pot. But it doesn't change what you should be doing as a Christian in the world. I just think there was that that teaching was missing though, and I think growing up, I remember like getting rebuked in college one time because I was teaching a Sunday school class. And I was like, I had always just heard and I'd been told like, well, it's going to burn anyway. So, yeah. And that's just poor stewardship. I think. Absolutely. Now, it is. I got a question. Okay. So a verse came to mind. It says, uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, hmm. holding fast to the word of life so that, in the, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did yep. not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And there you, go ahead. I mean, he has an eye towards. He has an eye toward the last day and he's he telling them in the midst of, in the midst of having an eye toward the last day, labor to the glory of God. Like, and that's what, don't be the people that make me think that I've labored in vain. Yeah, or another illustration that comes to mind is um, the parable of the talents. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, the, I mean, the reality is that the what he was a harsh man. Yeah, it's what it says. Knowing that you, knowing that he was, knowing that the master was a harsh man. Yeah, that he you reaped, should have gone invested with I the love bankers. This, bro. He said, "I reap." You know that I reap where I did not sow. Yeah, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. But the, uh, um, yeah. So. The and you having that did what? Nothing. You sat on <laughs> nothing. it. You literally buried mm-hmm. it. But 
So like that perspective is go and build. Like the assumption is that you're going to be given abilities, talents, treasures, whatever. You, I mean, the reality is it's talking about money there, but I think it is being used metaphorically for a number of giftings and abilities. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, we shouldn't read into talents as it's translated into English, but, but we should understand. Paul. Exactly. That's where I think yeah, sometimes yeah. we get the evangelical hero syndrome. Where, where it's like, we can't do that. So no, where it's like it's written like that's specifically Paul. Paul's exhorting no, Paul's them. Oh, you're talking about Philippians. Philippians. Sorry, Paul's exhorting like, yeah, Paul them that holding fast to the word of of life, that the things that he had invested in them, the truth, his yeah. life that he had poured into them would not be in vain. And I think like Paul's an apostle. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this distinct set apartness right. of the apostolic office. Yeah, but Paul's looking at the people that yes. he's invested the time so the and question energy is, into. We're still those people. Right. And the yeah. question is, what is faithfulness for those people? Yeah, the, the, the generation that, that's being made reference to there, the shining lights amidst the twisted generation is Christians, period, regardless of time. Um, and I think it's ordinary. Yeah. I always think I mean. about Jeremiah 29 and the, <clears throat> like, there's a lot of similarities, right? So the people are in captivity or they're in exile and they're not going to, where they're at, whatever they build where they're at is not going to necessarily serve them or their mm, children. This is good, actually. And so, actually, and so... That wasn't, that, that wasn't me, <laughs> finally. That wasn't... Brother, no, I'm playing, dude. It's been a long time. So, uh, we just got started. In Jeremiah 29, so the people have similar temptations, right? It's like, why would we build anything here? We're, we're trying to get back to mm. Israel and all that stuff. And uh, the letter that Jeremiah sins from Jerusalem, he says, this is Jeremiah 29, four, thus says the Lord of hosts to the God of uh, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So like the idea of we we won't see what we necessarily, what we have invested into the world that we have inherited, but for the glory of God, it's worth that investment. And it's an ordinary investment of living our lives, of being faithful in the the different roles that we've been given, uh, and you know, in a, in essence, training the next generation mm-hmm. to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought? Have you ever studied? Has anybody ever shown you that mathematic on compounding interest, the power of compounding interest, mm-hmm. and like the penny saved and the compound of that interest on that penny, and then just the revolution of time, money over time. Mm-hmm. And I think about a lot of times, like we we don't understand like the compounding interest of the church and how that is producing over and over and over, and that we are... <laughs> I mean, the analogy... I he's making an argument for my optimistic amillennialism right now. <laughs> and we don't realize, like, you know, the, 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 I mean, the real analogy for the church is a body. Mm-hmm. And we are all one small part of that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Called to faithfulness. And this is when I first came to Mercy Hill. Like, I was on one about <laughs> praying for your leaders, right? That mm-hmm. you could live... Peaceable and quiet, quiet lives. peaceful lives. Doing these ordinary things. Yeah. But they, they're not ordinary in the sense that we judge them. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. extraordinary because they're spirit-filled. You know, like <laughs> was, God has placed <laughs> the extraordinary in the ordinary. Yes. I was, uh, I saw a video the other day. I think Carver sent it to me. And it's like a, it's like a, a mom, a, a father and a daughter. And they're like on the couch with like a catechism book. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm teaching her the catechism, so she won't be uh, she won't be infatuated when your son comes singing Bethel music and with a guitar. Or something. <laughs> and I was thinking about how like that's such a little daily task, right? That like you're saying, ultimately, Lord willing, pays dividends mm-hmm. for future generations. And you're talking about generations down the line mm-hmm. who receive the benefit of that. 
small task. Yeah, I think going back to compounding and ordinary, we have resp- like the, the respons- what responsibility do we have to the next generation? We have the responsibility to be faithful. Like at the end of the day, the responsibility is to be faithful. And be forgotten. And be forgotten. Ecclesiastes. So like as we, as we live our lives, we live our lives doing that which God has equipped us and called us to. So in, in my conversation surrounding this very topic, one of the things I said was, there are things I don't excel at. I told in my conversation, I said, I do not particularly excel in one in, in one to one evangelism. It does not give me an excuse not to do it. Hmm. Right? It's like I don't excel at it. It doesn't mean I, I'm, I don't I, I, I don't do it. I'm glad to do it. I'm glad hearted to give witness. That general and ordinary faithfulness, regardless of your natural giftings, is largely irrelevant. We're called to be obedient, and we're called to be ordinary in our obedience. Which means, can I? I'll just hold that because he asked, how does this belief affect change our view of evangelism? And you're leading into this. Yeah, the reason it affects and it affects and changes our view of evangelism is because we have responsibility to the generation that we currently live in to be faithful witnesses of the gospel. And we also have full expectation that there are generations of Christians that the first the first in a line, right, is is going to be converted in this generation. Like you, just just from the general perspective, right? You were raised in a Christian home. Mm-hmm. You were raised in a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home. And so, but we have, we have multiple people here who were not. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how are they going to know? Mm-hmm. They're going to know because somebody stopped and had the, uh, had the desire, the ability to simply share the good news of Christ with them. Most of the time that's taken place in proximity based upon natural relations. And then all it is is just a willing heart. And so we have responsibility, even going back to what you're making reference to, like there's responsibility just based upon the Great Commission to go forth and to make disciples. That means sharing the gospel. That means teaching them to obey all that the Lord Jesus commanded. If we simply do that, right, understanding, this is an important note, understanding that the Great Commission is not particularly given to individuals, but given to the church as a whole. Mm. Crucial to our understanding. It means that we all undertake it, but it means that we undertake it collectively as well. I have responsibility as an individual to obey the Great Commission, Every single individual has the responsibility to obey the Great Commission. However, it's the church as a whole that executes it. So, And welcomes in those who accept it. Yeah, absolutely. So new converts come in, and we as a body mm-hmm. teach them to obey all that the Lord Jesus mm-hmm. has commanded. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we teach them. <coughs> and so the ordinary outworking of this in evangelism is we have responsibility, if for no other reason but the, but, but the love of the glory of God, to share the good news of Christ with people because Jesus deserves to be worshiped in every corner of the world and under every roof. And so that's our natural responsibility. And that does, this is, this is what, this is where I can bleed over in my eschatology. And that will dramatically impact the world around us. Like to say that evangelism, that people coming to saving faith in Christ is not going to affect the world around us. It, in my view, it's just silliness. Like that that that's like saying light doesn't shine in darkness. Mm. It just does. So I think that our responsibility is to share the good news of Christ, preach the gospel, make disciples, do exactly what we're called to do. That is a means by which we care for the future because we're aiming to be obedient today. Can I can I add a yeah, sentence here from the email? This is your podcast. He says, I have a non-IMB missionary friend who has devoted his whole life to running a backpacker hostel in Patagonia so he can evangelize young Jewish men and women hiking in the area because he knows how the Jewish people will be used to God's glory in the end times. You know what? I would change that last part. Huh? To wrap it around to what you said. Yeah. Because the church is called. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that, that particular, how the Jewish people will be used to God's glory in the end times is rooted in an eschatological viewpoint. Yeah. And so like, I'm grateful that he's, that this guy's evangelizing Jewish people. Praise God. Uh, I think we're, we're, we're called to evangelize. Yeah. Paul says in Romans, what a partial hardening has come upon Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. This is Romans 11. And we would say now that like, even now, like Jewish people come to Christ. Yeah. I would say they have a general hardening, the same hardening that takes place from total depravity. I think that that all. I mean, I've got a, I've got a preterist view of that hardening, meaning that it that it ceases after that generation. 
that Jesus executes judgment on an eighty seventy. Yeah, because I would. Yeah, that's where I'm getting at. Yeah, like, yeah. I would. I would declare that to be over. Yeah, yeah. I would too. So, um, what do you think, Blake? Yeah, yeah. So, um, knowing that there are people like you can disagree with that. Like the reality is, we're going to function the same way. <laughs> Right. Um, it's like if yeah, you believe, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, it's like we're still called. You're clearly called to evangelize Take the gospel to the nation. Yeah, it's yeah. like, and yeah. the church does that. Yeah, the church universal does that. Yeah, so we're called. But I mean, if you think about this from the perspective of, okay, well, what are we doing as we're evangelizing? One of the things we do as we're evangelizing is we plant churches. Like, I know, a, I know, a, I know a decent number of church planters. None of those church planters are like, yeah, I want to plant a church for about ten years. That's how long I want it to last. Well, the church will last for 10 years. Every 10 years, it's a wrap. We're done with that. Every, every, every church planter wants to plant, let me rephrase, every good church planter wants to see the church last longer than they do. Yeah. Like if, if, if you're a church planter or you're an evangelist or you're a disciple maker, whatever you would like to call yourself, and your desire is not for the fruit of your ministry to supersede your life, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> How yeah. do you think Paul would feel? About knowing that, like, all of the churches in the epistles are dead. Are dead. <laughs> I still don't think that that negates Mm-mm. the viewpoint of what he's referencing here at all. because of compounding evangelical dividend. You know what I'm right. saying? He, like, like he, he would reference that, okay, you are my witnesses, right? Yeah. In general, we're looking past one generation. Yeah. And he was looking to the end. He would still, I would think he would still look at validation of his ministry even to today. I mean, we would say that. We would validate. I mean, we, we, we are, are a we are direct fruit of his ministry. Of Pauline ministry. But I would say that there are churches in the places where Paul did ministry. I'm saying the churches that he specifically the actual wrote to. specific, yes. yes. That's fair. Yeah, so I agree with that. I think that the general disposition of the Christian, their eyes should be fixed on the last day, two day, and two generations down the road. Like, Today is the day that I'm required to be faithful. It's the only one that's going to affect the one in two generations. The last day is what I live for. And mm-hmm. because I'm living for that day, it's going to inform the way I live today. And the way I live today is going to directly impact two generations from now. Yeah. This, this is my general disposition. I, I mean, how many times have I said, probably on this podcast, I just want Rowan to have a good pastor. Yeah. Like after you. I'm dead and gone, I just want Rowan to have a good pastor. I want Rowan's children to have good, good godly pastors. And you also want Rowan to be prepared to be the kind of mother absolutely who provides for her children absolutely spiritually in that way absolutely so like like even even the things that i pray for in regard to my children i think are a demonstration of that ordinary faithfulness that leads on into eternity yeah like i pray for haddon and i pray for rowan in very distinct ways like Mm -hmm. i pray i pray that rowan would be a virtuous woman who Mm -hmm. would honor the lord i pray that she would submit to her husband in a godly way like those are things that I pray for her even now. I mean, obviously, all we're of that, still just stuck on saving from their sins. <laughs> no, I'm doing that too. Like, she look when Rowan when Rowan prays, she's like, "I want to pray, Daddy," uh, and she'll say, "And she'll say, Lord, draw me to yourself," because that's because that's what I that's what I pray over her every night. It's like it's like, Lord, draw draw her yeah. to yourself that she might know you. And so it's really it really is the cutest thing. Um, it's like, oh, how I look forward to the day by God's grace that you might pray that. Uh, and then Haddon in the exact same way, it's like, be strong, mm-hmm. be strong, be faithful. And, you know, I think literally our activity of caring for those who are younger than us is a demonstration of faithful, faithful obedience to the Great Commission. And it is a demonstration of trust that God will use the generation after us to build up the church even more. Mm-hmm. And so as we labor, you know, Blake, 28 hey. 28 Lawson when's this when's this coming out Lawson 30 I might be I might be 29 by then okay this I don't will know. come out hold on Lawson will still be 33 Don will still be 44 I wish you were 22 for some reason right now I bet you wish you were 22 too <laughs> this will come out the 25th of August that's my birthday hey, hey! happy birthday <laughs> maybe right. we should reverse the other episode we just recorded <laughs> maybe so um, <laughs> we just got done recording the birthday episode but yeah, so like the the faithfulness that we have today directly impacts the future, and we should think about that. Mm. Yeah, like like but the scriptures make you think about. I it. I know that's what I'm like. 
The actual preparation and anticipation of the Lord coming that final day should encourage us to be faithful and also to long. It's not unreasonable. No, that's not even that's a that's a silly way to say that. We should <laughs> desire our children to live in a better world mm. and to be better men. Mm-hmm. Like we are we are products and we stand on the shoulders. I mean, we were just uh, well. Three weeks ago, we were talking about the we were talking about the uh, first London Confession of Faith, and as we're talking about that, we're standing on shoulders. I, I certainly hope, right? I hope that, and this isn't this isn't an aim for self glorification or anything of that nature. It's just I hope that my children can can stand on my shoulders. Mm. I hope that the congregation can that can stand on my shoulders. I hope mm-hmm. the guy who is the primary teacher guy after me can stand on my shoulders and do it better than me. Like, you know, and so the way that that's done is by compounding and, and encouraging those younger to grow rapidly. You know, I I think I said, I don't know when this was, but I was talking to guys a couple of, I don't even know. It's weird talking about this one. I know this is like weeks out, but like I remember when I learned about imputed righteousness. Yeah. The nine year olds of this congregation are going to grow up knowing what imputed righteousness is. Right. The, I mean, they have a jump start. We like you and I talk this all the time about how sometimes a young man who's recently come to saving faith will look at us and be like, man, I'm just, I just really want to be where you are. Hmm. And you're like, yeah, man, I want to be where you are. Right. I, I want to, yeah. yeah, I want to be, I want to be 14, 15, <laughs> And know the things that you know and yeah. trust the way that you trust and have mm-hmm. the fuel for faith like you do. Um, yeah. yeah. Banter over. Which is in in itself, like that, I feel like that longing for the next generation is one and the same as you're talking about, like thinking about two generations down and thinking about the last day. I think that's one and the same in the sense that like we want to be found faithful on the last day, which will in turn, if we are, will in turn have those effects two generations down. Mm-hmm. But you know, he says, he or she says, I think the low hanging fruit is to be involved in a local church, teach catechism to your family, et cetera. But what about applications for more global evangelism and resource allocation to those efforts? Which I think it's a fair. I, I mean, I get it that it's low hanging fruit, but again, I think that I, th- I think that that is the ordinary faithfulness that does mobilize into global evangelism. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. I guess the question for us is, as Southern Baptist, you know, what if the IMB didn't exist? Like, what? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Is that a good allocation of resources? Is that a good? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's where. Yeah. I mean, I, I think those things are a good thing. Yeah, that there yeah, yeah. are ways in which people can be launched out into. But I've often thought about more, more like spending more of my time in the secular world and seeing how much global connectivity there is yeah. in the workforce. Yeah, and thinking about like how we, as maybe how convention, uh, you know heads of the convention look around mobilization of God's people, you know, just from the marked IMB missionaries and how these people are moving about. And yet I've always wondered what velocity do we have of people that are just faithful church members that are moving around, Mm -hmm. you know, global commerce, you know, things in which like used to go to a church with a guy that was in China, you know, um, every two weeks and would put Bible verses in, certain opportunities to meet with people, you know, think about just like leveraging your life about that. And I think about, you know, you're leveraging, leveraging all aspects of your life. And if you have a desire for, you know, like this individual that he references, like running a hostel in Patagonia, if you have that ability to think, I think, I think for me growing up, I thought very conventional and conventional is not a bad thing, but I thought very conventional around, missionary work and now i think about there's a double entendre yeah there's like so much opportunity just just at our fingertips to do these things as as a as part of our life like as part of who we are you know like at some point i thought 
Just go with me here. <laughs> Four years, Noel's graduated. Like, what then? Like, I think a lot of times, like, people think, okay, well, I'm going to go now for the sake of whatever, move my life, I'm going to retire or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I also, do we think about leveraging those moments and seasons of our life for the gospel that I'm going to go find and partner or plant or be conceptually motivated by, I want to, I want to see a church plant. You know, I want to be a faithful member of a church in a different area. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I think. That's the whole John Piper thing, right? The juxtaposition between you go get you some seashells, bro, and collecting seashells, and then the the people who were reti- of retirement age, like doing medical missionary work mm-hmm. in Africa, you know, mm-hmm. Cambodia. Can I thought it was Africa? Cambodia. I'll fight you. Okay, sorry, I wasn't there. It was at Shelby Farms when he said it. He was at Shelby Farms. Yeah, the the, the, the sermon pretty Farms. much that sparked the. Really? Reformed resurgence was at Shelby Farms in Memphis, and low key like the Passion Movement and the whole Passion Movement. Yeah. Wow, Shelby Farms. But I think that's day. what I think that's what our first time emailer, yeah, is hitting on. Yeah, like you can leverage your life and the resources and the talents that you have in a global way. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I want to. Yeah, go for it. This is your podcast. Whenever you want to be it. I want to highlight two things first. Global missions is good. Yes. True. I know that this is a really trivial statement. Uh, We affirm. We affirm. (laughs) Yes, we affirm. Global missions is good. It's appropriate. Why is your foot there? (laughs) Why are your legs so high? Global missions missions is good. It's right. It's godly. It needs to be done. Mm. The reality is, (laughs) the reality is, The reality is the vast majority of Christians are not going to be called to live overseas. Super fair. All right. So let me, let me explain why I'm... You want to hear me Jesus, GQ? No. Okay. All right. Hit me with that. But we can all be involved in global missions. Okay. I heard John Piper say yeah. one time, speaking of, he said, we're all called to either be sacrificial goers or sacrificial senders. Uh-huh. Which is helpful. Yeah, I'm, I'm with them on that. So, let me let me clarify this. Let me finish my two statements. Sorry, I mean. So the first one, do global missions. We affirm. The second one. Um, the second one is, part of global missions is evangelizing your area. Like, let me, let me explain why that's important. Is because it is unhelpful to view your general faithfulness and obedience to the Lord in your local church and in your general area as something separate than global missions. God's plan to evangelize the world is through the local church. It should not be surprising or upsetting when the local church in a general area is the predominant tool to reach the general area. Yeah. That being predominant? said. Predominant? I mean predominant. Why wouldn't it be... Total. Only. I know, you know what I meant. <laughs> so we affirm, but yeah. So awesome. so that I hear being, what you're saying. That being the case, that being the case, the local church sends without question or exemption, right? Like the local church should be sending. The local church should be funding. The local church should be glad participants in global in global missions. Now there are various ways to do this. We affirm there is. A model where we're taking care of someone who is who is a primary goer. There's the model of someone literally moving their life over there. There's there's tons of ways that we see this being done today. But the major thing that I think has to be understood is that the way that we further the kingdom is always through the local church mm-hmm. and the local church being healthy. Yes, is good for everybody. I, yeah, and I think like. You know, sometimes like the measure and stature of faithfulness is like how many dollars? Yeah, how many dollars or how many people or, you know, whatever that measuring stick is. And it's like sometimes there's a season, right? Even in your own home, right? From being single to be married to, and you find like your capacity to do certain things mm-hmm. and the capital that you have and in the arena of time or money or, you know, you name it, whatever. And I think the same thing in one sense is true about that growth trajectory of a church, like a new church and growing. Yeah. Like I you know what I'm saying? Like it it needs to be gathering 
I don't know, strength and stability. You know, think about yeah, a local church. Like, uh, a church plant is a mission. Yes, it is a mission. Yeah. And it, when it reaches maturity, we should expect it to do mature things. Yes. Yeah. So like one, uh, one individual I heard say it this way, it's like, if your church is young, it's not going to be pregnant. Right. And so like, which, which just makes perfect sense. It's basically saying it's juvenile, it's maturing, mm-hmm. it's growing. And as it matures and as it grows, then it will reach the capacity to give birth to something else. And so, like, the way we think about that is church planting. The way we think about that is funds to missions. Like, it, it is not a net negative for a local church, a new, especially a new local church. Like, if we planted a local church, I would want them to care deeply about evangelism, but I would want them first and foremost to care about evangelism in their own area. Like, that's the reason we're planting the church there. Can I be selfish for a minute? <laughs> yeah, hit me with it. So, like, where people are, like, on the fence about you know, join in here, they've got another church, right? They're like considering or whatever. Like I always think about like, like that, that, that ministerial, right? That, that ability to have that impact and like to not taking anything away from a church that's been around 30, 40 years and is not at all. Yeah. Nothing against that. But it's like, there is something, there is a unique opportunity, I think, Mm -hmm. with being mission minded and getting in with a church plant early we wrote and, a blog on this. Yeah, and investing your life, every aspect of whatever that commodity is, right? You're, I mean, obviously, bare minimum, be here, you know, on Sundays. Yeah. But there's just so much opportunity to to aid in the growth of that church to bring it into maturity. Yeah, because pastors don't chur- don't plant churches; people do, right? Mm. And so it's like the you think about the people. I mean, and look, there's phases of this. There's waves of this. I think you've said in the past in regard to a couple of people who have come and then gone, it's like, man, the Lord used them to serve a purpose here. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as you're doing that, the re, like, so we'll play ramifications here for just a minute. This local church is five years old. Five. Whopping. Almost six. Almost six, but still like. <laughs> That's what young kids say. Five and three quarters. Like, the reality is, the reality <laughs> what is. What are you going into? Stop it. Next the year, reality. Please. I'm gonna fight you, Pat. Sorry. The reality Sorry. is, this church is exceptionally young, mm. exceptionally young. Mm. Um, and I think it, I'm gonna be careful with the way I say this. One of the things that have been that has been a frustration to some is that because of the Lord's unique blessing upon our congregation and its growth is that people assume it's 30 years old or it's 10 years old. And it's just not the case, right? Right. And so, like, I would say, I would say that right now, maybe this year, and you can affirm or deny this, Don, I'm looking at you, that we're reaching a point of unique financial stability. Yes. Uh, like, first time, um, where there's a great deal of confidence around it. The Lord has been kind. He's always been kind to us. But nonetheless, it's like looking at it, it's like, wow, I have a unique confidence that I have not had in the past. I have I have some rest. You know what uh, we call it in the banking business? Tell me. We have tailwind. Tailwind. Yeah. Um, you but feel so, it. You yeah, can't really see yeah, it, but you, you feel it. Yeah, you feel I, that tailwind. I can get behind You're that. not worried that we're going to shut down. Right. right. Yeah. No headwinds, tailwinds. Yeah. The wind has turned, and it's at our back yeah. and pushing us. We have motivation. Yeah, mm. and so... Love it. This, Momentum. This helps us be more... Be, be more sacrificial in our giving and aiding others. Mm. It helps us think, think largely past ourselves. And I don't, I do not think it's negative for a local church to focus on its own stability. Yeah. But I think part of, part of the desire to see it stabilized is so that it can stabilize and encourage things around it. Mm. Like, I, like, yeah, but the financial stability would come like, and I think when we're speaking in these terms, like sometimes sure. we think about, so that we could be sacrificial. Okay, so they're saying so that we could cut a check or do whatever. No, no, no. No, it gets to a point where it gets to maturity, back to your original comment, to be pregnant yeah. and to give birth right. to another exactly. church. Where, like, where we look back at them and we say, hey, focus on growing your congregation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There, a while back I heard a podcast. Yeah, gather into yourself faithful men. That's right, yeah, that's right. Like grow, grow exponentially in that way, both organically gospel, people that are looking to come mission-minded, yeah. partner with you in your local community to because, be a lighthouse. Because yeah. healthy, mature churches send out missionaries, plant other churches. They do, like there's so much that's done through the connectivity that takes place through mm-hmm. maturity 
And I think sometimes we want to jump the maturity. I can think of an ample amount of uh, guys, and this is this is a warning. If you're if you're listening to this, and somehow you're like you're listening to this, and you're like, I'm going to plant a church that plants churches. Hear me, plant the church in front of you before you start thinking about planting other churches. Mm. Like most most of these guys are always like, we're going to be a multiplying we're going to be a multiplying church. Well, praise the Lord. Just make sure that you're actually grown first. Lawson was these guys. No, no, I was thinking that. I, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to help the next generation. That's right. No, no, um, you're growing. And so, like, but I mean, this, but this is what's propagated. What's propagated is, no, 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 no. Don't think about yourself. Don't think about maturing your local congregation. You're thinking about the next, the next one. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, why can't we have both? Well, my whole thing is like, you know, on an airplane, when the masks come down, you put it on the adult first, and then you put it on your kids. <laughs> it's because if the adult dies, it's not going on the kids. Right. Like, if you pass out because you're not, you don't have oxygen. The kid, the kid's not making it, guys. And so the whole the whole thing is you've got you've got to reach a point of maturity so that you can both care for self and because I mean the reality is as we care for ourselves, we're not caring for ourselves disconnected from the kingdom of God. We're caring for the saints in our midst. We're seeing them grow. We're caring for the next generation. We're caring for so much, and we want to reach a point of hell so that we can plant another congregation and that they can reach maturity. Which. I think gets into literally everything we do. Yes. Because if we were, if we were focused so pragmatically, like instead of on the main things, we would be giving the next generation, they would be inheriting a deficient church. Like build that out. Like in the sense that like us being faithful to care about all of the little things and to keep the main thing, the main thing is setting our children up like it may not seem like it it may seem like the pragmatic things are like giving more money for future generations or building bigger crowds for future generations but the little things the little faithfulness in all of the ordinary ways is actually setting up a more healthy church for the future absolutely and i think that what the the way that we look forward right and the way that we think about missions and evangelism and how we consider the next generation is the exact same way that we think about how we're raising our children. And so, yeah. like, to build this out, I care very little about, um, about like, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate this. I'll just say it in regard to the church. I care very little about how many people attend a local congregation if the congregation is unhealthy. Yeah. I care a great deal about how healthy the congregation is. I want, I, I hope, like perhaps this sounds odd, but I hope the congregation that's planted out of this one in the years to come, if the, if the Lord so wills, will, will be healthier than this one. That's not, that's not a, an ungodly desire. The same way that I hope, like I hope Haddon is a better man than me. Yeah. Like that isn't like, I want to be a good man. Mm-hmm. I want to honor the Lord. I want to be faithful. I want to love my wife. I want to raise my children well. I want to honor the Lord. I hope he does all those things better. Yeah. Um, but there are there are people who have a gifting of like um, academia, right? Where they could write about deep theological, right? Like to, in a sense, can't like canonize a, a commentary on whatever biblical topic. And I heard Richard Barcellos recently say he had come across a book. He's like, I had this in my mind. I was going to write this book. And he said, I found this other book and realized after reading it, I never needed to write that book because it had already been written. Yeah, it's good. And I think about like that preserving, right? Like I think about Augustine and these, you know what I'm saying? Just these great theological works that there are people in the kingdom who can, you know, author great works that would aid the Christian, right, or the local church. And I think about, like, you know, there are men, when when I'm thinking about this question about how do we preserve it, right, we're yeah. saying, like, it's like people would be like, well, y'all are being tiresome. Like, y'all are just talking about the plane from America to another continent. Well, that's the fastest way you get there. We're <laughs> not going to talk about any other means other than the plane. Yeah. In the same way, like, we're going we're gonna to major on the major thing, which is the church. Yeah. But I also think there are you know, good resources and yeah. and men who, you know, devote their life to those, you know, to bodies of work that you guys have used around yeah. pastoral study. Yeah. When you take that even to the more granular level, like someone had to share the gospel with 
Adoniram Judson, William mm-hmm. Carey, like someone in their local church, presumably. And had to raise those men to maturity. Yeah, like discipled these people who did go out. And so we don't ever know. I mean, think about Ephesians, is it Ephesians 3? Like he can do more than we ask or think. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you never know what those little, you know, regular, normative, ordinary, basically deposits into mm-hmm. a relationship, uh, what they will ultimately become. What was your ah for? Nobody wants to I'm, talk. I'm now. literally looking it up. Literally. Literally done. You're so sad. Literally. Well, I think, like, okay, so this is what I was looking for. One moment. Because he go, he asked, how do we preserve the gospel for future, for the future, and to what extent should be our efforts? And my thought was, if I if I have the giftings right, of a name a name a great theologian, modern theologian that's alive. Give me one, Joel Osteen. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining Al us Mueller. on this podcast. Yeah. yeah, if I have the gifts of Al Mohler, right? Like, use them to the glory of God. Use yeah. them to to preserve the gospel, to aid the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's where I'm Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is whatever you're gifted in, you should be doing. But at the same time, like, he's going to do the ordinary things that we're all called to. Yes, but yes. The way <laughs> yes. In, it's not a but, it's, 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 it's and. an and. Yeah. Yes, and he's going to uniquely focus time and attention in the ways that God has gifted him. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if you're uniquely gifted, oh, I'll just say this, if you're uniquely um, blessed financially, be rich in good works. Yeah. Like like that that's a that's a biblical command. What if you're a doctor? Well, it's like Romans 16. If you're a doctor, you use those things to the glory of God. Yeah. Like you you leverage essentially the blessings that you have. And this is why I tell people like it doesn't really matter what piece of the body you are. It's irrelevant. Whatever part you are, go do the thing that that part does. Mm. Um and you should do it well. And so like you should major on those things. This is I even go back to like our Romans twelve sermons. Like Romans twelve sermons were so helpful to me, just because it's like, guys, the church is doing this. Uh-huh. You need to be participating in it. If that means that you shake someone's hand and encourage that brother as he's making his way out, praise be to God. Good work, encourager. If it means demonstrating mercy in particular categories, then go demonstrate that mercy. I mean, there's there's so many categories that we're thinking through. And the major premise here is that the church is equipped for the task. And as it's equipped for the task, we should assume that it will be victorious in its mission. Um, mm. <clears throat> and so, you know, again, kind of anchoring it back to the beginning point here, we have seen, and I, I'm not even apologetic about this position, we have seen the church advance, period. I mean, there's, there's, there's no exception to this objective. claim. It yes. is an objective reality. We went from meeting in catacombs to... I mean, we went from 12 people meeting in one room. Yeah. We are the jackboot. I don't know what that is, dude. <laughs> it's the military boot. Um, stomping. Anyway, <laughs> like, like those, those type, like, it's objective. It's a reality. And so to say, like, it's weird to me to say that the church is going to advance is like, nah. I'm like, nah. So he touches on the last part. So are y'all going to touch on the John MacArthur school of thought within reform circles? Yeah. This, this is we lose down here. Like, because he, he, was, he was posted on a loop, a vine loop, if you will, of him going, we lose. It's not a Vine loop, I Boomer. Care. I think Vine died. Vine died. I wanted to say it because the I church hasn't to. died, but Vine has. He was right. on TikTok on a loop. <laughs> so See, now I want to call you a millennial. He was on YouTube. Can we be? I think we can be gracious to a brother mm, and say yes, we can. that we have seen throughout Christian history that it looks like yeah moments of bleakness. We lose yeah. in the sense of. Christians have always been persecuted from the beginning. Lawson, why are you in the fatal position? Shaking Obviously, we're not losing, but it looks like it from the outside. I mean, this is the whole deal. Like, he will 
Well, he's the a serpent will bite his uh, his heel. That's already happened. Yeah, yeah but I'm saying that looks like losing, but it wasn't. Right. I mean, he got smashed. <sighs> Obviously. I'm just saying objective standards. But matter. part of his eschatology, I mean, his, his eschatology. Yeah, his eschatology his is not that the church, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His eschatology is not that the church is going to be victorious. He's either. a leaky dispensationalist. That's what he that, says. That's his own affirmation. That's, that's him saying the about presupposition himself. is the church. So he's going to get down. His theological position is he's going to get down to. Yeah, it's going to be a small number yeah, of people. Big, big, sad, huddled group. He's temple rebuilt. I'm out, bro. He's temple rebuilt. Yeah, I can't go that far. No, I'm, I'm saying is he? I don't he think so. No? Okay. I don't think so. Um, I I cannot reach a point. I'm sorry, like. I'll be gracious to the extent of saying the church will be persecuted. Hard affirm. Absolutely. Without question. We will have people slain in the sand. Affirm. We will have persecutions in the lesser forms of the world around us hating the Christian and their proclamation. We see this today. That being the case. The church does not lose in those things, and it should not be conveyed as losing in those things. That's fair. So, like, I refuse to look at someone who's going through tribulation and persecution. I Look, if you looked at me and said to me, in the midst of, like, and I'm talking, like, hot persecution, like, they're coming for me and my family. Hey, man, just take the L. I'm out. Yeah. I that's not you. that's not an L. So what you're what you're asking me to do is to look at to look at Paul and tell him, hey man, don't run to the chopping block. Yeah. You're you're catching an L here. This is an L. I'm sorry, I just can't. I can't I can't go there. I won't go there. It's it's victory. It's 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 conquering. And part of that most certainly will often and can end in the bloodshed of the Christian. I cannot, I cannot onboard myself with a with a view of of both Christ's victory um, over sin and death, Christ's victory over the principalities and powers, and say that we lose down here. I just, I cannot get there from victorious cross to suffering, failing church. Um, that's not to say that there will not be. Churches faltering, churches struggling, churches dying, local churches. But the church universal stands forever. Um, you know, I wrote, uh, hold on a minute. How old are you? <laughs> right, what are you, 80? What? Five. What does that mean? You were grunting as you just had been over. as a kid. Oh my goodness. I hit him with it. Wrong pocket. Different zipper pocket. What are you doing? I'm on Grace to Use website. <laughs> All right. He has a long article. So this is so this is what I read about this week's sermon. I'm gonna read it because I like it and it helps me. <laughs> All right. This is about <clears throat> why we are waiting for mercy. Because I do think that the phrase "waiting for mercy" has to do. With neither one of you are you literally are both staring at your phone. Brother, I'm listening. I am. Me too. My <laughs> eyes do not. I'm talking to you first, and the people second. All right. This is. Yeah. All right. We're with you. So the the phrase "waiting for the mercy of our Lord" does assume that we are not in a state of perfection, right? It's yeah. an assumption that we are waiting for some relief. Yeah. Okay. So this so this is what I wrote about this. So. Picture this, shepherds resting on their staves, blood dripping from their battered hands, wounds on their arms from reaching into the mouths of wolves and lions, rods shattered, sheep huddled protecting their young, always fighting and always marching forward. In the mouth of all the phrase, the gates of hell will not prevail. Christ has overcome in the name of that flock and they, and they strive in his victory. They labor, they war, they press on, but they do all this while waiting. They await the mercy of their chief shepherd. They experience reprieve here and long for the final day of life. The church is always striving, always warring, always waiting, always prevailing. Hmm. Like the basic presupposition here is, yes, we're waiting for something, but as we're waiting, the church is still being victorious. Yeah. And so 
Sorry, that was my foot. Um, but, and so in the midst of that, like as we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord, where there is an active warfare taking place, and I'm just largely, not even largely, I am convinced that that warring is met with victory after victory. So, and that, to me, going back to the original portion of this question, man, what a hope that we have in the midst of our, in the midst of our striving for the next generation. Like, I don't assume that the next generation, because I think this, I've heard the phrase, have y'all ever heard this phrase, it's getting gloriously dark? I think I might've told y'all this phrase in the past, man, I hate that phrase so much. (laughs) Um, Because the presupposition is like, I'm not preparing my children for like, as I'm thinking about what's next for them, like if the Lord calls my children to the mission field, do they call and call or call them to unique suffering or even us? I mean, like we're still young relatively. And so Don's not, Um, but Old like, like as we're like, if we're called to unique suffering in our age, that does not mean that the church is losing. Yeah. It just means that, that God is choosing to do something different in this particular period of time. And so be it. Mm-hmm. He has the right to do that. But my anticipation as I labor is not that my children would inherit a gloriously dark world, but a world that is being made brighter and brighter by the gospel of Jesus making its way around the globe. But I think that goes back to Josh's point from from our prior episode on eschatology, which is he made a distinction that you would not see necessarily these effects, like morally or politically. You right? may not, but he he said, well, but but the he kingdom the, the will post, increase. Like it's a it's yeah. a it's a side effect, not a direct effect. Am I quoting him or a paraphrase? Yeah, that's him that's that's the optimistic Amiel view. The post mill view is essentially saying that it will have and it is a direct. It's a direct repercussion of the spiritual reign of Christ into the heavenly, into the earth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are you disagreeing? No. No. I mean, I, I was like, I think, I think like, I, I'm just, that's his point that's is the, the distinction. View. The Amil is it's bleed over in a good way. The post mill yeah. view is it's direct. More, the more of the world is Christianized, meaning more people, let me say it this way, more people. Yeah. So that's the direct effort. I guess that's where I'm drawing the distinction okay. is that the direct effort of the church is to increase the kingdom. It's, yeah, re- call people to repent and believe the right. gospel. The repercussions oh, of a natural a effect of that is that you would have, you would have better societies and yes. civilizations. Yeah. yeah, like you don't go after the kingdom for better societies. Mm-mm. That was a distinction. That's that transformationalism. Josh made. Yeah. yeah, you don't want that. Because the gospel always gets lost in them. Right. It's like, hey, man, build a hospital. It's like, well, we came to preach the gospel. It's like, yeah, yeah, but build the hospital. Yeah, so he, like, uh, our- We do that with basketball courts now. Our first-time emailer said social ills, right? Yeah. So it's like somewhere, I think it might have been Adrian Rogers said, you can can clothe them and feed them all the way- To hell. To hell. And so it's like, definitely there are social ills, right? Famine, opportunity for clean water- you know, there's all sorts of things that you could be um, using to aid and address an individual mm-hmm. all the while using that as a platform. But I, I still I still always am, you know, wanting to focus that the, those ministries need to be anchored in the local church. Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah. I just have a struggle with if we're in some foreign country and we're digging wells and it's like, and you're using that to promote the gospel, like, and someone comes to saving faith in Christ, then what? Mm-hmm. And if we don't have, you know what I'm saying? If we don't have the then if what the church established, there. Yeah. yeah, like I have a struggle with that. Even the confession says that we're like, good works must be defined by the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like you can't just say it's a good work. Yeah. Like you can, like the reality is there's a ton of humanitarian efforts that are of benefit, right? Like there's no question about that. But good works are rightly revealed in the pages of Scripture. I'm going to sound like a John Piper fanboy today, but he, he always right. says uh, God cares about human suffering, especially eternal suffering. Mm-hmm. Or something like that, something yeah. along those lines. Uh, I always think about that. Like, we, we ought to care about human suffering, but the worst kind of suffering is eternal damnation. Mm. All right. So in conclusion, 
We finish I the gauntlet. have a Bible verse, and it's Revelation 7, starting with verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, yes. and to the Lamb. So I'd like to thank my fellow elders, Lawson Harlow and Blake McCullough, for the time spent today. If you guys have, pro- fellas, if the audience has problems with any of the candy munching, it's all Lawson. That's wrong. Lawson at mercyhillob.org. <laughs> my brothers and my friends, Godspeed. When are we going to eat wings at your house? After September. But then I've What's really... happening in September? <laughs> this guy and this girl. Christian, I just want you to know that the sound you're hearing is not me. It's Don. All right, go ahead. And Blake. Oh None of this God, is yeah, me. We're all getting fired. None of this is me. Tuck it away, guys. You're the right one here. who's making the noise, bro. I just put it in my jawline right here, and then it kind of melts a little bit. <laughs> You know what gleeking is? I know. I love that. You just sit in school and put like a Sour Patch Kid, and you get the attention of your buddy and be like, watch this. You get like, and just gleek. What are you talking about? You're nasty. Well, like saliva like shoots out of like your venom glands under your tongue. <laughs> That's what Paul was talking about in Romans 3. No. I'm serious. Have you ever done that? No. Uh, you just you say it? I could never do it. Stop! <laughs> I'm a, Suddenly we're back in fourth grade. I know. Oh, it's all over my thing. <laughs> my computer. <laughs>